Welcome to The Sharp End. I'm Craig Brown, Senior Multi-Asset Investment Specialist for the Rathbones Multi-Asset Funds. This podcast is designed to give you a fly-on-the-wall view of what we really talk about on the Rathbones Multi-Asset Desk. We don't have all the answers, but we aren't short of an opinion or three, and we're more than happy to share them. We'll be sharing our latest musings on this podcast every month, so do look out for our episodes going forward. You're now going to hear my poshest telephone voice again, giving you the usual do's and don'ts. This podcast is intended for professional investors and must not be shared with a non-professional audience. Any views and opinions are those of the investment manager and coverage of any assets must be taken into context of the constitution of the fund and in no way reflect investment recommendations. Past performance should not be seen as an indication of future performance. I'm joined again, as usual, by David Coombs, Head of Multi-Asset Investments, and Will McIntosh-White, Fund Manager for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Fund. So welcome again, gents. Good to see you. Afternoon. Welcome back uh, to those of you who joined us for early episodes, and welcome to any new listeners that have, uh, have joined us since. If this is your first time with us, please feel free to go back, listen to our earlier episodes. Last month, we discussed the regulatory moves in China, whether we're going to be dipping any toes back into property and Dexcom, a, a firm at the forefront of helping diabetes patients manage their condition. Also, as usual, stick around until the end for our RMAPS mixtape. I've got the unenviable task of following Will's stellar mixtape from our last episode, garnered rave reviews and arguably has saved the mixtape from being killed entirely with his musical prowess. So to kick things off for this episode, um, chaps, I wanted to talk about my walk to the office, which um, you know, bear with me for a minute here. This has got a point. So we've all heard of SaaS, software as a service and all these subscription models. They're all the rage now. Businesses are trying to transition to them. But the crazy thing I saw today was on my walk from the train station to the office, I saw not one, not two, but three coffee shops now offering me coffee as a service. So what I'd like to term as CAS. So everything is seeming to be moving to a subscription model. So what I sort of start off by talking about is whether this obsession with subscription-based revenues has just gone too far and how we can really try and disentangle this obsession from equity market valuations and how we look at businesses. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is not new in some respects and even in wealth management with the financial giving it financial advice or, or investment management yet we've moved away from execution only and advisory towards discretionary and you know the share prices of those quoted businesses you know 10 15 years ago all got a boost from that that shift towards the re- recurring revenue because that's what we're talking about here really i mean sas is all this all sounds very exciting and sexy but it we're talking about you know, continued revenue rather than transactional based. It's it's nothing new, but in the IT space, it's it's it was relatively new. And you went from you know going out and buying the software up front, paying a lot of money, then seeing it basically do about half of what was promised, and you went out and bought another one three years later. Um, whereas now you, you it's less upfront, and you and you pay an annualized cost, and actually it probably suits the customer as well as as the business, and rightfully. That recurring revenue has resulted in in many of those software companies re-rating, and yeah, we own some of those. We'll, no doubt, we'll come back and talk about some of those in a second. So that was justified, in my opinion. But if we look at that re-rating today, coupled with obviously what we've seen with COVID, and you know, bond yields moving to such low levels, 
these sort of higher growth software companies now sitting on quite high valuations. Yeah, I think Will mentioned someone's lively in the last podcast. These are beyond lively. I did some research this podcast, uh, Craig, for the first first time. Um, Don't get carried (laughs) away. It's not too much. But I was just looking at some of the PEs, and this comes with a massive caveat. I sourced all these from Bloomberg, so um, if they're wrong, it's not my mistake. But but secondly, it's not the actual PEs that, that matter here because... You know the earnings are difficult for the analysts to to sort of get a firm grip for. Companies aren't really giving guidance because of COVID at the moment. But so think about the relativeness here rather than the absolute numbers. Adobe fifty four times, Ansys fifty one times, Autodesk sixty two times, Salesforce sixty times, ServiceNow one hundred and ten times. That's lively, going to spicy, going to eye watering. And then you've got Microsoft, which is still a software company. But on 35 times, looks pretty much a steal. And what we're saying, the S&P is on 21 times. So, you know, Microsoft looking quite cheap on 35 times earnings. Uh, Apple, I mean, Apple, positively cheap, 27 times earnings. Value um, these days, right? That, that could almost be value. <laughs> and Go- Google. Service revenues going up. Indeed. And then Google on 29. And we'll, again, we'll come back. So even if you take a haircut to those numbers because of what's going on right now, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're elevated. I think we can all agree. And the question is, and as we've been discussing last few weeks, is this isn't just about the subscription now, these re-ratings, right? This, this is now much more about interest rates negative forever, isn't it? I mean, rates is obviously part of this discussion, as we were discussing earlier. You know, you've got serious negative real yields out there. But I think when you're looking at this, it's, you know, why are people paying more for these cash flows? And it's the reliability of them, right? You know, it's the visibility. It's giving you confidence over the next five, 10, whatever it might be, years. These cash flows are coming in year after year. So you think you've got to think about is making sure that those cash flows you're looking at are coming in. You know, what is the resilience of some of these businesses? And I do think that is what some people are overlooking. And the, there's that assumption that if you call a subscription revenue, if you call it subscription revenue, it's reliable, it's coming in year after year, which I think, as we've discussed before, that's not necessarily the case. And it's kind of that resilience coupled with the growth profile of this. You know, some of these businesses do you know, are impacted by that sort of flywheel effect. So actually, as they get bigger and better, it almost accelerates growth. So once upon a time, you got bigger, your growth rate slowed. As we've seen with businesses like Amazon, you know, you can benefit from that flywheel and your growth can actually accelerate further. So I think there are the, those two bits and the it's the resilience bit that I... 50 times earnings. Worry about. Well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come specifically onto that. I mean... You know, if you're paying, so the multiple on its own feels very high, doesn't it? I mean, I think we can agree say, on that. Yes, but rates are flawed. I'm not going to talk about a new paradigm because I think we all agree that's a very dangerous discussion. But if if you're going to like, if you're going to want to own businesses like this, you have to pay up in the current market environment, or or you don't own them at all because, as you just reeled off, they are all very expensive. So I think if you're going to own them, you really need to look at those businesses and say, how confident are you? in that growth, because if that growth comes through, those valuations come down quite quickly. You know, if you're growing earnings 10, 20, in some cases, 30, 40, 50%, some of the earlier businesses, you know, then suddenly you can be back down to- But all those businesses, I mean, 
just for the benefit of compliance, if you're listening, um, we don't own all of those companies and we're certainly not tipping them. Um, but they are all companies that are probably leading or number two in their sectors. And they are kind of those companies you were alluding to. Uh, and they're, they're mature businesses. They're big businesses. And they are, as I say, they, they are they have a quality product that people are looking to buy, et cetera. But, you know, you, you're definitely paying for that right now. And I, I, it's hard to see rates going even lower from here. So, so the upside is really limited, isn't it? I mean, playing devil's advocate, you know, you could have argued that 40 times. <laughs> That's the point. P is quite a blunt tool, and yeah, you know, no, using, yeah. using Amazon as the example that you gave, Will. There, how many times in the last decade would just looking at P have told you time to sell Amazon, time to sell Amazon? You know, you look at ASML, who you know business that we do own. You know, with me, yes, they're on fifty odd times, whatever they are now. I didn't actually look before we came up, but they're on. You know, quite quite richly valued by by most measures. Um, David's research obviously is going to come in handy here and uh, save my bacon. No, I didn't do but, ASML. Sorry, it's fifty <laughs> times. It's fifty but, times. But, but broadly, you know, you're looking at a business there which has got bookings now out to 2022. You've got that line of sight. You know, you've got that protective moat around the business of those high barriers to entry. They are the leader in that tech space in an area that continues to grow. And you kind of think, well, not all 50 times are built the same. Not all 50 times mean the same thing. And it's that context which sometimes escapes you. No, they don't. Just but, look at the 50 times. But having, being the, uh, obviously the oldest around the table here <laughs> by a couple of years, I do remember 99, 2000, 2001, and 2000, 2002 was probably the two worst two years of my life, career-wise. I thought you were going back to the nifty 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1950, even though I'm not that old. But, you know, there were a lot of people sitting around justifying high multiples. Uh, okay, worse than now, absolutely. This is not This is not that. These are, these are very good quality businesses growing profits with decent margins. So we are not, that's a very lazy comparison. So I'm not making that. The only thing I would say is it's very easy for us to sit down in 12 months' time and go, oh, that was pretty obvious at 50 times. God, why didn't we see that coming? And there must be a lot of people worrying about, apart from the passive investors, of course, they just keep pushing up all the time. But active investors must be like us sitting around quite nervously and 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 looking at these valuations. And you're right, Craig, PEs are very blunt and you and they're not a great signal for buying or selling actually for market timing. We don't really generally look at them that that closely. And that's why I'm, I'm looking across the whole piece here and saying, this is a warning signal, I think. And yet you, know, you get Jackson Hole last week, off we go again. Growth's in the ascendancy, the NASDAQ's outperforming, these names go again, attract even more money into them. I mean, if you're looking for warning signs, uh, you know, seen a few sell side reports recently looking at earnings now out two, three, four. Yeah. And uh, I did see one the other way, other day uh, justifying their price target and by looking out five year earnings. So that's normally a sign that yeah. people are reaching yeah. quite yeah. hard to justify. Well, a lot yeah. can happen in five years. Yeah. <laughs> a lot has happened in the last five. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the PE on 2030 earnings is only 17 <laughs> times. <laughs> Still. So, I think, you know, we've let our tech ratings come back. We've been trimming i think that is continue the right thing to do i feel like i'm trimming asml once a week at the moment it's gone through 700 euros isn't it this this week um i i just got this sense that i i don't want to be sat here in 12 months time going come on we talked there has to be some semblance of realism and i'm not sure these are starting to look that realistic but the problem is we were looking you know if you look at the s p was it 21 times i think we were looking at this morning what is it 
that's dragging it down to 21. Because all the companies we look at, you, know, you look at aggregates firms, you look at things like Caterpillar, you look at industrials, they're all on 25, 30, 35 times earnings as well. Right, aggregates firms, for goodness sake, you know, deep value, you know, because of the infrastructure spending, they've, they've gone through the roof. So, so what is bringing them down? Financials? Yeah, to a certain extent. But they've had a bit of a run. They have, but still broadly on, I don't know, certainly UK ones are about 10 times. I think US probably a bit more expensive. They are, yeah. People look at the kind of growth versus value thing, don't they, with the year? But equally, you look at it and you kind of think, looking at what's rallied and where some of those more traditional cyclical maybe value names are that have rallied, actually this is now more of a high quality versus low quality thing. And it's the low quality parts of the business, whether they're traditional value sectors or not, that are perhaps dragging that that S&P 500 down, um, you know, sort of shifting that narrative away from perhaps the very subjective terms of growth and value, which are... Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I guess, is what's the trigger to pull them back down? Could we just, again, slightly playing devil's advocate, but could we just run through two years of slightly sideways growth where these companies grow into those valuations and yeah. so the valuations no, naturally come down? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we all know, A, valuation, very poor indicator of short-term performance. Yeah. You know, the market can go against you for much longer than you think. And we could be running at this for the next two years and these things could just carry on ticking up. So I don't know how much longer. You know, do you want to make a decision and say, well, ASML, it's on 50 times we sell it. It's a high quality business that, as you say, we're pretty confident. You'll, in you'll never rebuy it. No. Right, you just and then you'll just kick yourself for you selling will. it. And I, I think that discipline well, Unless you're very is... lucky and for some <laughs> unknown reason, the market suddenly craters and you get a good chance. And then you won't want to buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so taking a slight sidestep now sort of towards what's happening in the UK at the moment. So we kind of appear to largely be the guinea pigs of, of the world. All eyes are really on us around how you live with COVID because it does seem that the UK is at the forefront of what living with COVID might look like given the high level of you know vaccination across the country and the fact that we're now starting to see people back at sporting events, you know, different festivals. I think was it your son went to a Japanese sports car festival, David, and we've had Boardmasters, I think, on and and, and various festivals that are way too cool for, for, for me to uh, show my face at. But we're also seeing, you know, cities springing back to life. You know, last night uh, I was I was in London and you walk into places like Broadgate Circle and you would think you were back in 2019 again. So London and, and, and the UK is starting to spring back to life. Problem is we're not seeing all countries having the same level of success. Some are adopting different approaches like Australia and, and New Zealand who are maybe slightly more on that zero COVID certainly at the moment. And the US clearly has its issues along the lines of vaccinations getting in people's arms. But I thought it might be a good idea to talk around how we're kind of looking at these reopening stories and how perhaps we're looking at some of the disparities in how different countries are approaching this COVID reopening story and think about how that impacts portfolio positioning. So, Will, David, who wants to take this one? Well, I'm surprised to hear you weren't at Creamfields, actually, Craig. I thought that'd <laughs> My be, raving days are over. Be right up your street. Um, I mean, as you say, it is difficult. I think what we can agree on is, I mean, we talked about shape of recoveries or whether we did, we were discussing other people discussing shape of recoveries and all the different shapes that came up with. And V++ at one point got a lot of uh, airtime. Uh, so I think we can all agree that V++ recovery is dead. We have had a sharp recovery. And the problem is, is talking general terms. And as you say, you know, economies are recovering at very different speeds. And, you know, China, which everyone talks about as being 
you know, the big V shape and kicking on. And actually, a lot of that has come back as they faced their own problems. We it's more COVID. of a W. Yeah. More of a W. Yeah, probably is. Yeah. Um, Just well, add, add that up. Add that, add that <laughs> to the alphabet soup. Um, and so, I guess to a certain extent, you've got to think of, do you want to try and play this to a certain extent? And that's tricky because I think we've got to be honest. We don't know how COVID is going to pan out. Um, we don't know how government's going to react because we don't know what COVID is going to look like. I mean, at the moment, Australia, you know, at one point, everyone thought Australia was the way to go. Uh, everyone thought Sweden was the way to go. And then suddenly that's not the case. And suddenly Australia is struggling and the UK looks like it's back on as being the leader, having vaccinated the best part of the population. Uh, we've got schools going back now. So could that change things? I mean, we've seen Scotland having their issues. So you know, what do you do about that? And I, I guess the point is, you've got to be careful, right? Trying to be too clever around this, I think. And you know, I think it's looking at businesses that should be able to benefit in a recovering economy, think about where they are exposed. Because, you know, as we all know, it doesn't matter where a business is listed. It's much more about where it's getting its revenues from. And if you take, uh, if you think about a couple of the areas where, you know, in the healthcare space, like Smith and Nephew, where we thought to a certain extent, recovery, Smith and Nephew, you know, should start to benefit, bit of a lag, but should start to benefit. Now, you know, they've struggled because economies, are struggling again with COVID. And so they're not getting as many operations done through this recovery as you thought. Now, that's going to extend those backlogs. So they're going to keep doing those operations for the next few years. So the backlog's there. But can they get through that quick enough to generate growth? I'm not sure they can for the next couple of years. Whereas Edwards, which has actually done very well, which does heart valves for those listening that don't know it, which are much more important operations to have done in terms of life-threatening versus having a knee op, which is obviously important, but you know you can wait. Um, Edwards is doing very well. So I get it's those nuances work out who does better in a recovery and, and who is more important in the recovery if you don't necessarily have a, a yeah. V-shape. I mean, you look at the, the daily movers in the, in the, in the S&P and which obviously has got a much broader sector exposure. And, you know, the energy stocks and the going out stocks, the restaurants, the young brands, this world, you know, the uh, Mackey D's, et cetera. You know, they're, they're either the, the biggest gainers or biggest losers almost on a daily basis depending on the COVID numbers. And to your point, trying to play that, I mean, you're, you're black and red, aren't you? We're not in that game. I mean, enhanced growth, we've bought Live Nation. This business has been following for quite a long time. So it's a quality business, you know. It has a, yeah, it's a good vertically integrated business. It owns Ticketmaster, also owns the venues. It's got uh, management contracts with the, the groups as well, so, and, the, and the artists, I should say. So, a good business, quality business. We're able to pick it up. Do I want to buy it across all the funds? No, it's it, because there is no visibility. So I think enhanced growth, the higher risk fund in 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 the suite, where we've got a five ten year time horizon, there is the right place to to take these kind of I don't want to say bets, but take 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 kind of those kind of views. I, I really don't feel confident putting that across the other funds. I was having a look through the portfolio and said, what is our COVID reopening portfolio looking like? And actually, there are some hidden ones that you just don't necessarily think about. And we talked about Coca-Cola a couple of podcasts ago, but actually Coca-Cola in the US, particularly with the fountains and the restaurants, um, and the going out, you know, Coke got really badly hit actually during the lockdowns over there. So uh, uh, Coke is kind of a hidden 
you know, it's, it's rather than buying the McDonald's or Yum Brands or the Wendy's, you, you kind of coke, you get exposure to all of those. So that that could potentially do okay. It won't be the first one that everyone goes to, but it might be a, this, in the second wave of recovery, I guess. Lower beta. Yeah, COVID lower beta way, COVID it? reopening is a new new <laughs> new all phrase. Right. And then we've got Mastercard and Visa. You know, we've looked at payments businesses before. Yeah, there there, there are. I guess like, it's a bit like picks and shovels of the COVID reopening story, isn't it? I guess. And we got C- CTS Eventum in in some of the funds as well, which is concert uh, ticketing in, in Europe. But I I don't want to chase airlines. I don't want to chase. You know, restaurants, cinemas, many of those businesses aren't quality anyway, to That's be honest. The they weren't quality going into COVID no, and they're they, not quality no. coming out. They're a- just Absolutely. Not and, you know, you saw what happened with the mid-range res- um, restaurant businesses in the UK pre-COVID. You know, that whole middle market suddenly getting obliterated, wasn't it? So people forget there was some massive structural disruption going on in some of those industries already. You know, streaming services versus cinema, you know, mid-range restaurant businesses, airlines, you know, BA having another go at a budget airline. I mean, who wants to, you know, really? <laughs> I, I don't want to play those even trying to be smart, actually. I, I don't think they're the right areas for us to go in. So I think, you know, we, we keep looking. We've picked up Caterpillar enhanced growth as well, which um, potentially that could be a beneficiary of infrastructure spending in the States and in Asia and elsewhere. But I don't feel like chasing this. And as you said, we got we got no edge on COVID, who we? I mean, apart from my next door neighbor's got it. I mean, it's pretty close to home. Other than that, <laughs> I can tell you it's not very well, but we've got nothing, no insight into this whatsoever. No. I mean, I think I'd rather be in the names that if the recovery continues nicely, they will benefit. Yeah. And if it doesn't, they're okay because they've still got those structural growth elements behind them we generally like. And Ulta Beauty is the other yeah. one I forgot to mention. You know, Ulta. It's I mean, unbelievable. They've been absolutely <laughs> smashing out of the park. I mean, um, and that, I mean, going back to our PE chat, actually, Ulta is a good example of a company that's obliterated guidance. I mean, not like a couple of cents, like by dollars, and has beaten 2019 comparisons, let alone... COVID trough. I mean, just staggering. So, which again shows a disruption in retail. So, we've got this disruption that was going on anyway, plus the COVID cycle going on. I mean, you could get nastily trapped in the wrong names there. So, I think often the best decisions are staying away from things you don't know and admitting you don't know. So, I think the conclusion here, Craig, on this bit is we don't know. (laughs) So, we're going to look at the second derivatives. Are we allowed to say that publicly? I think we, we just have, I think, so. <laughs> I think people know. <laughs> so uh, moving on uh, slightly from COVID and lockdowns. So one of the well-known beneficiaries of lockdown of people working from home was uh, were, were Peloton, um, who saw huge demand for their bikes in 2020. You know, notable demand from um, a, uh, from a sort of small town in Wiltshire. Um, yeah, for people who wanted to watch their waist and uh, and get fit during being locked in their house so but as David can attest to actually what has happened to them largely of they've now become expensive clothes dryers as they are gathering dust in people's houses as we're able to now go out and about and actually see friends or, or, or get out and exercise a bit more uh, or go to gyms however we've got Names like Shimano in the fund, you may all remember them from your Rally Max bikes when you're a kid, or indeed if you're uh, a bit more active these days from your current road bike or racing bike. But unlike Peloton, they're now perhaps a winner in the kind of going out world as well as the stay at home one. So I thought maybe we could have a quick chat around Shimano and the trappings of uh, of getting caught in fads. 
Yes, well, I feel... I was going to say, I'll leave David I, to I feel, start. <laughs> I feel quite vulnerable on this one. Very well qualified um, to answer this one, David. Yeah, my Peloton is a little dusty. I mean, obviously, I'm going to use it a lot more during the winter, clearly. Of course. Slightly upset that prices have been dropping. I have to say, having forked out a lot of money. But I've also got a Cannondale with, with Shimano brakes and cantilevers and all that sort of stuff. I don't think there's any Shimano on our Tomahawk and Chopper when I was a kid, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can recall. Um, on your older listeners will even know what I'm talking about. I think Shimano is a great example for business that we like, right? Because it, it, it's the parts that go on the bikes. Picks and shovels. It's, it's, well, it, it really is the picks and shovels. I mean, anybody who's raced a mountain bike or a bike will know that, you know, you break the parts quite a lot. Certainly when I was mountain bike racing, I broke my parts an awful lot. I had a lot of weight to carry my bike. <laughs> and, um, you know, Shimano, not only you buy, are they designed into bikes, they're also part of the servicing and replacement. So, it, it's it's not quite as um, cyclical as we've seen sometimes from Halfords, for example, where you get this huge, off every Olympics and Britain gets a gold medal, everyone rushes out and buys a bike and then it all falls apart then for 12 months. You see people like Evan Cycles went bankrupt, didn't they, a few years back. Shimano is is there for the long haul and going back, we're almost going full circle. To, it's not a subscription. Well, it could be. Well. Hey, <laughs> it could actually, light bulb moment, it could you be. You've got to do a lot of cycling for that. You really have. <laughs> If you're racing, you do go through the past, but maybe not, not that many. But any decent bike you look at will tend to have Shimano. And the, and the beauty of Shimano, again, is that they cover all price ranges. So your cheapest bike for 100 quid will have Shimano. But your £1,000 or £10,000, £20,000 <laughs> bikes, probably not a Halfords, but they will also have much you know, lighter uh, more technical parts as well that Shimano are bringing and then the cutting edge. So it's almost like they're the Formula One and also they're kind of the the Volkswagen of the of the bicycle world. And I, that's just a business that for me and the brand awareness, any cyclist knows who Shimano are. And yet it's, it doesn't feel like it's that well-owned as a company. Yeah, it feels relatively underknown in the investment world. You mean unknown? I mean no, I mean underknown. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to clear <laughs> that phrase as well. Um, underknown, I'm going to stick with that. And uh, he's completely thrown me there. <laughs> uh, in the investment world, but very well known in the cycling world, right? They've got 70% share and the quality play, as you say. I mean, there were clearly barriers to entry because very few people have broken into a market that is not exactly new. Um, so clearly they're doing something right. So it works for us. And, you know, I was actually doing my research as well, not just you, um, but in the Tour de France, 17 out of 22 of the teams um, have bikes that use Shimano. That's a good start. That yeah. is a good start. Um, so, you know, they're obviously backed from the top. Um, so again, as you say, exactly the kind of business we want to own. You know, there is that risk of a boom bust cycle in cycling. <laughs> but actually what they've done through this pandemic when they've had demand rise, they haven't aggressively ramped up production. They are increasing production, but they haven't really, really gone for it because you know what can happen. You get that overcapacity, demand drops away because it's all been pulled forward and suddenly you know, you've overspent, you've poorly allocated capital and that's going to come back to bite you. So that sort of slow and steady approach about how they're tackling this, you know, I quite like um, and I think reflects quite well on management. Peloton, on the other hand, well, I mean, I did write about this a couple of years ago, albeit having said that, if you'd owned a share through the pandemic, obviously you'd have done quite well. Um, <laughs> but I definitely wrote about 
gathering dust, like the rowing machines of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, my dad certainly had one. I remember when David bought it, you know, I'll be on that every morning, rain or shine. <laughs> um, as every fund manager, he was very obsessed with his quartile ranking in the class as well. So that um, that, that, he'd come and tell us uh, happily every morning what quartile ranking he was. I mean, I question whether Peloton was a tech business, you know, one of those faux tech business we talked about, although having said that, prices are coming down. So maybe it is a tech business. Yeah. I mean, how bad is that as well? If you are a Peloton, I mean, margin, you're getting squeezed on supply, you're getting squeezed on your parts, and you're also taking 400 quid off your bikes and 12.5% off your monthly subscription. That, that you know, not, so mind not your appealing mix. Yeah. <laughs> but it is bicycling as a service because you pay subscription for the for the uh, classes. So there you go, Bass. Bass. You've got Cass, coffee as a service. Bass biking as a service. Um, yeah, come to us for all of your yeah, acronyms. Pass, pass, <laughs> we're well versed in an acronym here. So basically what we're saying is that actually maybe we are at peak subscription valuations if Peloton's anything to go by. Perhaps so. See what I did there. Very nicely wrapped up, David. Thank Very you. nicely wrapped up. Now it's time to turn uh, our attention to the RMAPS mixtape for the month. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it is my turn to go try and follow Will's uh, stellar effort last time. Just as a reminder for any new listeners, um, this is each episode. One of us is going to be tasked with finding three songs for each topic we've discussed that episode. So I say my turn at the DJ birth booth. So here it goes. So the first song in line with uh, perhaps spicy evaluations. I have the Spice Girls, Spice Up Your Life, or indeed Spice Up Your Portfolio, perhaps. Um, there you go, on the nose with that one. Subscription coffee, you say? Ella May Morse, 40 cups of coffee. One from the 50s. David, I don't know if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I say, I've definitely never heard of it. I've never heard of that. Spice never? Girls on the other hand. I mean, to be fair, Google did help me with that one, just a touch. Google songs about coffee. And then the last one is a bit of a stretch for this one, but I'm going to have to allow you to bear with me here. So Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band with Old Time Rock and Roll, which was one of the title songs from the 80s classic Risky Business. So it's a bit adjacent, but I'm claiming it, to be Poor. honest. Yeah, that is a stretch. Is that a Tom Cruise film? That's a Tom Cruise film. Tom Awful Cruise, and was film. it? Who was the other guy? Don't know. No, let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm bored. Risky Business is a dreadful film. Um, so next topic, talking about COVID reopening. So we've got Luke Combs, Six Feet Apart, a song that was written during the pandemic lockdown um, about staying distant from each other. The next one, an 80s classic, Joe Jackson, Stepping Out, all going back out, you know, I enjoying ourselves. Yeah. Um, then we've got Arctic Monkeys, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, which uh, I think is a special shout out to Michael Gove for that one as well, to be honest with you. Um, and then the last, the last one, Shimano and, uh, and, and biking. So we've got Queen, Bicycle Race, I Want to Ride My Bicycle. I gave you that one. Katie Melua, Nine Million Bicycles. And then one just for the kids, Mark Ronson and the Business International, The Bike Song. I think I know two of those songs. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a little while to Google all those, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> my musical knowledge is not quite what Will's is, so uh, Google was my friend um, there. But uh, yeah, so there we go. There you have it. That will be available on Spotify um, a bit later on after this episode is released. So please do feel free to have a listen, like it. So thank you once again, David and Will, uh, for joining me on the uh, the Sharp End podcast. Been a pleasure as always. Indeed. 
Um, and thanks everyone uh, for joining us. I hope you'll join us again for the next monthly instalment of The Sharp End. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcasting platforms and some bad ones as well. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button and please feel free to rate and review us as well. If you'd like to hear more about the Rathbones multi-asset fund range, please speak to your usual Rathbone sales contact or visit us at www.rathbonefunds.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.